closing out a series called uh, In Everything, and this has been a series about worship, all right? It's been a series about worship. Now, there's a, a whole thing about what we think worship is, okay? What we think worship is, and most of the time, folks focus on the elements, if you will, or the what you're doing when you're worshiping, right? So we think about singing, and we think about hymns, and we think about liturgy, and we think about praise music, and we think about uh, prayer, and we think about preaching, and we think about communion, and, and, uh, and all the other ways, you know, Sabbath rest, and all the other ways that maybe you've been taught in the past of how to worship, sort of how to worship. So we think about what worship is for often just solely from the standpoint of elements of worship, and it's not that it's wrong, it's just incomplete because, you know, how we respond, how we express those in those elements is just a part of the story of what worship actually is and what worship means. And so we kind of dove into this idea that worship is a response. This is what we talked about the first week. Worship is a response. And it's across the board. It's not like, you know, we're just, we're only talking about, um, you, know, you know, church concepts like worship. You worship anything. You know, our hearts are just, I think it's, uh, somebody quoted this at one time, but our hearts are just idle factories, man. Like we, we, would, we will make much of pretty much anything uh, that we highly value, highly cherish, right? And we will worship that. It could be anything. It could be your kids. It could be your relationship. It could be your spouse. It could be your career. It could be success. Um, it could be money. It could be security. We will worship that, right? Why? Because it's so important to us that we just respond that way. That's, that's just what worship is. It's a response. And obviously, as a church, we've been talking about it from the, in light of worship being a response to God, worship in terms of how God wants us to worship. So I gave you this definition last week that, um, is it up there? Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Worship is a living response. There you go. Worship is a living response response, whether we're gathering or going, which we'll talk about in a minute, but worship is a living response to God, right? You know, for who he is, that's all by itself plenty enough to worship, but also for what he's done, is doing, and will do. And that's kind of walked you through last week, just the idea of like, you're never going to run out of things to worship God for if you're worshiping for who he is, what he's done, not just in your life, but what you can read, what he's done, what he's doing in your life and the life around you, and what he's promised he's going to do. So there's, there's all sorts of sort of fuel, if you will, for us to respond, live our lives in such a way that it's a living response for what he's done. This is our theme verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. This is in everything you do. It goes on to say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's our theme for this series, that in everything we can have its living response to God. So again, week one, Pastor Chris just said, hey, all of life, all of life is sort of this idea of making much, right? Making much of what matters to God. All of life is making much of what matters to God. And what matters in terms of your life, that what you value, what you cherish, what you treasure, all of these things. Week two, I talked about how that looks for the people of God when we gather like this, you know, 
when we gather like this or in small groups, when we just kind of get together, what it looks like for God's people when we worship, when we gather and when we go, right? When we gather, we're exalting him, we're, we're being edified because of his word, we're edifying and encouraging one another, and we're being equipped to do acts of service. When we go, it's, we go intentionally, right? We go, we go intentionally, work, live, learn, work, play. You know, we talked a lot about local stuff a few weeks ago uh, in, the, in the, the, the harvest of what does God want in terms of the harvest and the local activity. Uh, we talked about it to the ends of the earth last week. We talked about Journey Go and our global outreach and how we can intentionally go to see differences made. And then I ended with this scripture uh, last week, Colossians 3, Colossians 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another through wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with great gratitudes in your hearts. That's us, right? Encouraging and exalting and edifying. And it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. And I'm going to read again. I think I read the message paraphrase of Romans 12 last week. Uh, I just love the message paraphrase for lots of reasons, especially when it comes to my personal devotion. And so I'm going to read it to you very quickly. This is just a paraphrase of those same two verses from Eugene Peterson. Let the word of Christ, the message, right? The message that he had, let it run, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. That's the, the wisdom. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. And then he goes on to say, let every detail of your life, very similar to the Romans paraphrase, let every detail of your life, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. I love that idea, every step of the way. Today we're going to focus primarily on how interlocked and intertwined our response to God is with our expression of worship. We wanted to kind of go into some of those areas of our life that um, in terms of gathering and going and kind of the big picture, but today I want to talk about just how it's expressed in our life, this, re this living response that we give God. And in order to do that, I'm just going to walk you down through a couple things, but it's, we're going to solely kind of fix ourselves on one area today that I, I really do believe is one of the biggest struggles that we have when it comes to our expression of, of, of our worship to God and our response to God. But at first, I want to give you some biblical expressions, okay? So if you just look at the Psalms, if you just look at the Psalms, there are 13 just biblical expressions of worship in the Psalms. You can write this down real quick or take a picture or go back and watch it later online, all right? There are, I'm going to just walk you through very quickly, read some of these we could be still, maybe you know that verse, to be still and know that I am God, to cease from striving, that's Psalm 46. Bowing, to bow your head and to bow your body low. By your mercy, I will come into the house of God in reverence and bow down. Clapping, clap your hands, all you people, right? Clapping's a big deal when it comes to worship. You can cry out to God. That's part of uh, just your heart kind of expressing itself. Whether they're, my daughter calls them happy tears, right? We're in the car listening to worship music and she goes and she tells her mom, she's just like, I'm so sad. I'm so, my, my eyes are watering listening to this song, right? And, it's, and she says they're happy tears. We had to kind of help her work through that because part of that is crying out to God. Laugh, our mouths are filled with laughter and tongues with songs of joy, Dance, you can dance before the Lord, 
Maybe not the kind of dancing you're used to, but we can dance before God. And that's, and that, and that's definitely going to be one of the examples today. Keep going. You can kneel. You can kneel before the Lord. You can lift up your hands. Psalm 134, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise God. You play instruments. Psalm 150 talks about the instruments playing. Uh, you can shout, rejoice with the Lord. The shout with a shout, you righteous. We can sing. We already know that's a, an expression of worship. We can speak. It even talks about that in Psalm 105. Just speak of his wonderful acts. When you are telling stories, when you are speaking about how great God is, that is part of an expression of worship. Standing. Stand in awe of him, you descendants of Israel. Yeah, and, you, and listen, the, probably the best way to see this is, you know how that feeling is when you're getting out of your car at night and maybe you got home and you look at the sunset, right? And you look at the colors and the majesty of what's happening outside. Isn't there sometimes just a moment where you just sort of stop and stand? That's what that, that idea of standing in awe means. It sort of means that everything else sort of keeps going, but just for a minute, you stand because you are overtaken and overwhelmed by the beauty and the glory of God. These are biblical expressions, right? But I want you to hear this. There's really no one way or right way to express your worship, which is kind of one of the reasons, I don't know if you know this about our church, but one of the reasons we don't press it too hard, we don't you know, lean into you too much. Now, every once in a while, if I don't think you guys are clapping and you, you know, you're not really into it, I'll come up here and make them redo a song again every once in a while and yeah, tell you guys to put your coffee down. I mean, that's just sometimes I got to get you kind of physically motivated, right? But it's not, there's no just one way to worship. There's no just one expression. And we want there to be freedom, right? We want there to be freedom. Why? Because we really do believe in this, and this is what, something I teach in worship all the time, that our, our inward posture determines our outward expression. That, well, what's happening on the inside is really what should be anyway, sort of dictating and determining what's going to be expressed on the outside. And so sometimes you come in, right? You come into worship, and I'm just telling you, it's been a good week, right? You're riding the high, a wave of, of encouragement and joy. You're riding high, some amazing ways in which God came through, and you come in, and the song kicks off, and you're, and you're already there, man. You're, you just kind of, you just start singing out a key, and you don't care who's around you, right? And you're just, you're just worshiping. But the problem is, is that the person beside you you know, they might have just barely made it in today, right? They might have just barely made it, and their head is bowed, and they're fighting back just a complete breakdown of tears because of what they're walking through in their life. Now, here's the deal. Both expressions are okay. Both expressions are still a response to God because that's what we believe in terms of biblical expression. We believe that we want, we want there to be freedom that God is using whatever's happening in here that is going to be expressed outwardly. Now, sometimes, I got I to share this funny story. We were uh, doing our B3, our men's gathering, uh, out at the fire pit this past week. And, uh, and uh, Randy, is he in here? Oh, Randy's in here this morning. Randy, uh, if you don't, Randy, he's been a pastor for years. He currently runs our First Fruits uh, Realty, our, our Journey Ventures, but, and he preaches every once in a while. But, but Randy just shared a quick story about uh, when he was leading worship, he was leading music 
That's what it was called in the traditional church. He was leading hymns and kind of greeted everybody in the morning. And, and he said that uh, he asked the simple question that you, know, you ask all the time, hey, are you glad to be here? You know, and people were like nodding or saying yes. And he followed it up so quickly with, uh, if, you, if so, you need to, some of you guys need to let your face know it. <laughs> right? And that earned him a wonderful meeting with the pastor the following week. <laughs> The reality is, is that sometimes when we lack in our outward expression, there's lots of reasons for it. I'm going to walk just through a few and really kind of land on one. But sometimes there's not a whole lot happening out here. Whether we're standing or speaking or singing or bowing or putting our hands up, there's not a whole lot actually happening out here, outward expression, because there's honestly just not a whole lot happening in here, Right? There's not a whole lot happening inside. And, and part of the reason for that, let's just listen, part of the reason for that is because we sometimes just forget and we, we get over our salvation. All right? We get over it. And what I mean by that, just hear my words, we get over what a miserable, horrible person we really are. Okay? And listen, I, nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning with their devotions and just wants to think about how horrible, wretched a person you really are, okay? Nobody wants to do that. I get it, right? But you have to be careful in your Christian walk not to get over that God saved you, that God took a poor wretch like you and, and reached down into the depths of the miry clay and pulled you out by his grace, by his power, right? Like every once in a while, it's just good to remember, you're a horrible person. You really are. And honestly, the only good thing about you is Jesus. It is, okay? And listen, listen, I'm just, the older I get, the more wicked I know I am, all right? And so you can put a front on, you can put a front on, but the reality is, is this, a lot of people in this culture, you know, they talk about how, well, people are generally good and all that kind of thing. I'll be honest, you'll never hear that from me because that's not what the word of God teaches what the Word of God teaches is that we are horrible, miserable sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins apart from God. We are God-haters when we are born. That's what the Word of God actually teaches. And it requires the grace of God and the mercy of God to reach down and to save us. And part of the inward response that, that shows up in an outward expression is just the fact that you, you didn't get over that right? Maybe, maybe you spent this week kind of thinking you, you weren't doing that bad, but then you were reminded, probably by a spouse, or you were reminded by a circumstance, or you were reminded when you came in in one of the songs that we sang about your actual state, about who you actually are, because it properly defines you and it properly redefines how big and amazing and wonderful and beautiful and, and just glorious our God is. And sometimes you'll, you know, you'll notice the tears start to come or, or the expressions start to come out because when it starts happening in here, the inward posture, it starts expressing itself here. Another reason sometimes we don't see or we don't experience that outward expression is because you're honestly a little bit too concerned about how people look at you. You know, you're a little bit too concerned about how people see you. You know, if they see you raising your hand or they see you crying or they see you kind of dancing to one of the songs, you know, you're a little bit too concerned about you 
in light of worship, and I think we talked about this last week, there's only one consumer of worship, right? There's only one audience of our worship, and it's God. And that's really the only person we should be concerned about, right? But that, that, I'll use an example really quickly. You've probably heard this. If you're raised in church, you've heard this example before. There's a time in which the Ark of the Covenant is coming back to the people of God. It's coming back to Jerusalem. It's been gone and lost, and and they finally won it back through some wars, and and, and they're returning it. There's some things that happen along the way, which is part of why we get this response. Again, internal posture, outward response. We get this response from King David, King David himself. He comes just rolling into Jerusalem, dancing, unclothed, right? We don't know if that's full on, you know, Monty Python or if that's like a little loiny cloth or something. We don't know. We don't know. All we know is he was disrobed. He was not, he did not look the way he should have looked if you, you know, in terms of proper dress. And I love this response. Okay. This is his wife. David then returned home. This is after he danced and praised God and did all this out in the, in the streets. And he returned home to bless his own family. He was so happy back. Now, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul, remember Saul, he was the previous king. So Michael was raised in the palace. She knows what's proper. She comes out to meet him and says, in disgust, so put the disgust lens on, right? Oh, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today. Could you just, can you just hear that voice? Oh, how dis- shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Ugh, you know? And you get that. Michael grew up in the palace. She understands royalty. She understands how a royal person should act, right? David's just a, a, a shepherd, right? He's out from the country. And she's like, dude, your redneck is showing, right? <laughs> she's all about, oh, David. Sometimes I think it's gone and then it just shows right back up again. Oh, how distinguished you look, disgusted with his behavior. And here's his response. David retorted to Michael and says, look, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father. I like that dig too. That's a good husband and wife. That's a good husband and wife uh, argument happening in scripture here. Who chose me above your father and all his family, including you, and appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrated before the Lord right? Put a sock in it. I love this phrase because this, is, this shows you, again, internal posture, external expression. I'll become even more undignified than this. Like there is no end to how much I want to be able to express and celebrate God. And yes, I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you're speaking of, I will be held in honor. He knows how it's going to work out. He knows that his heart was pure. He knows what he was doing. May have not looked posh and kind of what people expected, but he knows. Look, I was pouring myself out before God, and I know God will be pleased. And these girls you're talking about, don't get so worried. They're going to hold me in honor. Because that was worship. Because what was happening in here began to express itself out here. Now, one of the primary ways that people struggle to to really see our response to God expressed in and by the way we live, by the things we say and the way we live. Primarily, we struggle with this because of the trials of life. 
right? We struggle with this because of the storms of life, because of the problems we face, whether they're small, they're large. It doesn't really matter. Don't you hate it when people talk about first world problems? Oh, such a first world problem. Yeah, I understand, but I don't have power, right? Like, like I understand that's a first world problem, but now all my food is melting, you know? Like, like the, there's still a significant issue. So don't try to level your problems to the globe. Just understand, everybody goes through trials. Everybody's going through challenges. Everybody has issues that they're facing. And this is one of the reasons that people struggle when in terms of how not just they see God, because how you see God and understand God affects what's happening in here. But then it affects how you respond to God, which therefore you know, uh, changes how we express that worship. So I want you to see this, and I'm going to give you another quick story, but I want you to see that trials, they really trigger either a muzzle or a megaphone of worship, of responding to God. That our, our what we face every day, what we're dealing with right now in our lives, what you walked in here this morning, one of the reasons that the words didn't mean that much to you when you sang them, one of the reasons there's not a whole lot of expression going on in your life is because the way you see God and the way you understand God and therefore the way you respond to God triggers either a muzzle to silence you or as we're going to see, it really can almost do the opposite. It can trigger a megaphone of worship and praise in your life, especially when it comes to a watching world around you, especially when it comes to the people that see you, that not only see, they can't see your heart, they can't see how you're responding because they can't see the expression, the outward expression. Our trials trigger that one of, one of two things. And so a really quick illustration and story is Paul and Silas um, were on their missionary journeys. This is the New Testament. And Paul and Silas are doing missionary journeys to Philippi. And when they're in Philippi, one of the things that we know happens, I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but they were, they were being sort of like taunted, if you will, by a servant girl who was clearly possessed. All right? She was clearly possessed. And they knew that they know that through some of the story. But days go by, and Paul and Silas are just there to share the gospel. They're just there to witness. They're just there to do all the things we talked about a couple weeks ago. You are witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? They're just telling people that Jesus loves them. But the woman is kind of just like taunting and heckling. And, you know, even though she's speaking out the truth, it's just, it's just annoying Paul and Silas. And so finally, Paul rebukes the spirit in her. Everybody with me? She re he rebukes the spirit in her and casts the demon out. Well, the problem was is that she was acting as a fortune teller for her owners. So the moment the spirit was, was exercised, like the, the, the owners freaked out because their business was gone, their livelihood was gone, and they got really mad at Paul and Silas. So here's Paul and Silas just, you know, just doing their thing, being a testimony, sharing faith, and just sort of rebuke this spirit. They should be happy about it. And instead, they complain to the officials, and the officials arrest them, okay? But they do it kind of dirty, like they, they kind of do it where nobody can, see, nobody can see, they don't give them a fair trial, they don't do any of that stuff. They just sort of arrest them. They, 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 uh, they um, yeah, I'm just thinking, they strip them down, it says they beat them, they flogged them. I mean, they just, they just ran them through the ringer. 
And then they took him to the jail and told the jailer, you know, treat him the worst way you can. Okay, make sure they don't escape. We've got to figure out what to do with these guys. So this is where we pick up, and this is if you want to look at it. It's in Acts 16. They were severely beaten and thrown in the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer had to put them in the inner dungeon. Uh, some of the architect tells you that it sometimes often was a circle. It's not, these weren't huge prisons. These aren't like multi-lex, multiplex prisons like we have. Probably 12, 15 people at most and just shoving them into corners and cells. And you put them in the inner dungeon and then clamped their feet in stocks. Actually, a couple translations says their hands and feet in stocks, meaning that they were basically, they weren't able to move at all. That was, that was the, the gist. And then Acts, Luke, as he records the story, as he hears it from Paul, Luke says that around midnight, now they remember this, and around midnight is important, I'll tell you why in a minute, but um, we'll talk about the context, but midnight's a big deal, okay, because they were doing this during the day, they were, they were arrested or taken off the streets during the day, and they've had all this stuff happen to them, beat, flogged, severely beaten, thrown in jail, you know, unjustly accused, and midnight is kind of that midnight hour, and this is important, especially when it comes to our seasons of life, when it comes to trials and tragedies and challenges and hardship, the midnight hour is when, you know, you get that phone call that, that, that really is, a no, is no answer at all about your cancer. Like it isn't growing, but it isn't gone, right? It's just there. It's not growing, but it isn't gone. It's after the tragedy, after the loss of a loved one, after the, 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 the loss of jobs. It's that time, the midnight hours, when people actually stop calling, right? They, there's nothing people can do anymore. So, so, they, so they stop calling, they stop checking in. The midnight hours when you feel very, not just hopeless, but helpless, because there's nothing you can do. All your plans are done. All your strength is exhausted. All your money is spent. All your grand ideas are finished. The midnight hour is when you have nothing but an illness to manage from this point forward in your life. The midnight hour is when the darkness comes in and just seems to remain. Everybody with me? That's the midnight hour. And in this story, the reason it's important to see this is because we too quickly jump to sort of the conclusions of stories, because we love reading the Bible and we love the God comes through in the conclusion, but you have to get yourself to understand the context, because they, they were pulled off the streets, stripped, beaten, just for sharing their faith, just for rebuking the Spirit. There, there doesn't seem to be any justice in this moment. God doesn't seem to be in this moment. But around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And it said the other prisoners were, what's the word? Of course they were. And again, if you don't focus on the midnight hour, if you don't focus on that context of it, we kind of jump, and I'm just saying what I've heard growing up, right? We kind of get to this point of like, there was Paul and Silas singing praises to God, you know, just happy, clappy, you know. The Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky. You guys with me? <laughs> and all the prisoners were listening in, right? Build it out of everybody. Go for barky barky, right? 
Some of you guys didn't go to VBS in the 80s and it's showing. <laughs> but but I, I, I want you to feel it, right? That's oftentimes, sometimes, how it's preached. It's kind of preached this idea that they were just sort of passe, like it didn't really matter that they were severely beaten. It didn't matter that it was midnight. And there didn't seem to be any solution other than the fact that they were going to be in jail. No, what, what, what that does matter just as much, if not more, than the fact that this is how they chose to respond. Of course they were praying. Of course they were interceding, praying for God to move. But it didn't stop them from, from raising a song. It didn't stop them from an outward expression of what was happening in here. And they were swollen and bloody and cut, possibly in and out of consciousness, not being able to move in the soreness that comes as they're stuck in the middle of this jail, in the inner dungeon. And as they pray, you know, Silas and Paul, probably one, each and other, just kind of prompted one another with songs that they knew, right? Songs that they remembered, hymns of of, of about God, you know? The things that they would, they would see. And they might just start it up and be like, your love never fails. It never gives up. It doesn't, doesn't feel that way in the moment. But he never runs out on me. Oh, your love never fails. It never gives up. I know nothing here is wasted, no failure or mistake. Because you're the artist and the potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. It's dark in midnight hour. But to remember, you know what? I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And, the, and Scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of His people. God resides there. Praying and singing hymns to God in the dungeon was just Paul and Silas saying, God, we just want you here with us. We know you're here. We want to we we feel your presence here with us. So we're going to pray. We're going to lament but we're going to sing hymns back to you. So of course everybody was listening, right? Of course the other prisoners were leaning in and were like, what in the world are they singing about? That's insane. Did I just hear, did I just, did I just hear he works all things for good? These people are idiots. Did they really just say that? Now, the end of the story is the one we jump to, right? The earthquake happens, the, the chains break off, the stocks break open. Everyone's chains break off. Not just Paul and Silas. Everybody's chains break off. The jailer freaks out, knows that people are gone, he's going to kill himself so he doesn't get in trouble with the authorities. And then Paul says, no, don't do it. Like, we're all here. 
And that's the part of the story that's also amazing. What do you mean you're all here? You mean Johnny Murderer over there didn't take off the moment his chains were gone? No, because they all knew something had just happened. They had witnessed the outward expression of their inward posture, and they knew that it was different. They said, no, 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 we're, we're all here. We're all here. Paul and Silas were delivered that night, but it doesn't change the fact that they were severely beaten. And not every story of Paul's ends with him getting broken out of prison like that at all. Matter of fact, Paul spends a lot of time in prison. <laughs> and God goes, yeah, go ahead and do some writing, right? I'm going to use it. I'm going to use your time in prison. I'm going to redeem your time in the midnight hour. You don't even know how I'm going to use it. Paul, you're going to be in prison for a while. But you have no idea how it's going to encourage the saints for generations to come. I've shared this example before, and for those who have seen it, just indulge me. I don't have any better, you know, sometimes when I have an illustration that just works for me, I just stick with it because, you know, quite honestly, I, unless I find a better one, I, I, I just feel like I like visuals to be able to help people understand that what's at stake for you and for me is our testimony, not just of the things we say and the verse that gets attached to your email, but that when the midnight hour comes, when, you, when the storms come, because let's face it, we're either in a storm right now, we're either coming out of a storm that we were in, or I hate to say it, you're probably going to be going into one at some point, because that's life. And if you don't have this discipline, if you don't have the right, clear, just vision and, and the way you see and understand God, the problem is going to be you're going to get to the midnight hour and it's going to trigger a muzzle and silence you. So that when all your top five and all the people that are in your life are really leaning in to see if what you say you really believe and the trial is going to come and silence your worship and your testimony will mean nothing. Or it could be the loudest song you ever sing is in the midnight hour, how you internally are responding to God and how it shows up externally, outwardly in your life. Part of it, again, goes back to how we see God. And I'm going to give you three quick illustrations and examples. Again, if you've seen this before, just, enter just entertain me, all right? Most of us, several times a day, if not most consistently, uh, we tend to see God, we tend to see life through me-colored glasses, right? This is it. This is how I see you. You look gorgeous, by the way. <laughs> Don't I look amazing? It's okay, calm down. And here's what happens when I see God through me-colored lenses and through me-colored glasses, that how I worship him has everything to do with how it affects me, right? Because we want to worship him for who he is. We want to spend our lives in a living response for who he is. But let's just be honest, most of my life is spent in a living response to who I think I am, to who, to who God made me, and how everything affects me. 
and how everything influences by me or things that are working for me or things that are not working for me. And I see life through me. I see, I see you through me and I see me through you. And, and when I look at God, I see, I see God through me. So I'm not just worshiping well, you know, what he's done. All I can think about is what has he done for me? What's he been doing for me lately? When's it, when is it Matt's turn? Well, I can't see what he's doing because I mainly see me. And if I want to look at the promises of God, I want to start looking through Scripture for promises. You know, let's be honest. I'm looking for the promises that, that he's going to promise me. Not God's people. Me. And so a lot of time, outwardly expressions don't happen because my inward response is completely colored, completely dictated by me colored glasses. Another thing that happens is life, life dictates it. The circumstances of life completely dictate how I respond and express my worship to God. Because sometimes, let's just face it, life is good, right? I mean, it's rosy, right? It's amazing. I got the job. <laughs> I got the girl, right? Got great kids. I got the promotion. I got the raise, right? This must be what it's like with God's favor, just smiling down on me. But then... When things turn dark, the muzzle comes. It's the worst season ever because the job isn't working out and the relationship is broken and my kids are rebelling and the cancer's back and the doctor called and it wasn't the news. I was expecting. It wasn't even the news I was praying for. Does God even know what's going on? Does God even see what's happening? Does he even care? And the tests go good. I knew it all along. Praise God. So blessed. Look at me, just blessed. Just Never taking it for granted again, I promise you. Never going to take it for granted. Never going to take my health for granted again. I'm so happy. God just, oh, how he's just blessed me and loved me and just touched everything in my life. And then another dark time comes. And, and our response to God is completely dictated by our life and by the circumstances of our life. I wish I had an updated pair of these, and I'll be honest, I don't know how I would do it, but I've struggled over the last couple years of how God's people see God through pandemic-colored glasses, with all the fear and all the anxiety and all the mistrust and all the hatred, and all the division that God's people have justified that God would be happy with. I don't even know what those glasses would look like. 
And, it's, and if you don't think it's affecting how people worship God, you're not paying attention. But there's another way. And I'll close with this, this big picture here. This is from the psalmist. This is from David. King David, you know, dancing naked through the streets. I have set the Lord always before me. The ESV says continually before me. I've set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. And my body also will rest secure. So just understand that the picture here, the picture here is not that life's not going to happen to us. The picture here is that our worship, how we respond to God, has everything to do with how we see God and understand God, and our response is directly tied to our outward expression. And so the solution and the practice, the habit we have to be in now before the midnight hour is that we have to say, look, I'm going to set the Lord continually before me. I see everything through the lens of him. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I will not go back and forth between me glasses and, and rosy glasses and dark glasses. I will, I will not see my problem before I see God. I will see God before I see any problem. And my response, my response is going to be about who he is and what he's done and what he is doing and what he will do. Not on the circumstances, not on the tragedy, not on the illness, not on the cancer, not on the loss, and not on the pandemic. I will not be shaken. Right? And so before the midnight hour comes, I've made this a habit. I believe that was Paul and Silas' story. They were setting the Lord continually before them. So that even though, and I'm not belittling it all, I'm not belittling your, your issue or challenge or tragedy, it's real. I'm not saying just get past it, just give some sort of cheesy surface like, oh, praise God anyway. I'm, I don't hear that from me. God, may we never, may we never grow numb to the pain of the people around us and of, of our own lives. Not, and, and then use him as an excuse. No, you need to feel it. But in that moment of prayer and singing hymns back to God and inhabiting the praise of his people, you, your heart can be glad. Your tongue rejoices. And even your body, your faith will rest secure. Will rest secure. Now here's the, the best part about the series, and I'm going to close it real quick. We are not asking you to do anything else in your life. Okay? This, this whole series is not an add-on to your life. This is not one more thing you have to figure out how to do to be a good Christian, right? Like, like that's not, that is not the series. This series is based on the thing you're already doing, all right? You are already making much of the things you value most and the things you treasure the most, 
and the things you want to pour your time and passion and affection into. The question is, is it God? That's the question. You're already doing it. We're not asking you to do anything more. We're asking you to figure out, is this what you make most of in your life? When you gather and when you go, are you doing so intentionally to exalt and edify and encourage and equip? Is that why you come to church? Is that why you come to worship? Is that why you go where you live, learn, work, and play, and we even go to the ends of the earth? Is that why you go? And again, (laughs) the storms are coming. It may be very real to several of you right now in this room. The midnight hour is where you are. So this isn't just some sort of like, you know, ideology. This is, this is your reality. And the question is, is, that, is it a muzzle for you? Has it triggered a muzzle or a megaphone? It has everything to do with how you see and understand God. Whether he's doing that inward expression in you. That inward posture that will dictate and determine your outward expression. One last time. Our worship is a living response as we gather and go to God for who he is and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises he will do. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And as I pray this morning, I just pray simply. Again, God, I don't want us ever to be numb to the pain and suffering of anyone in this world, let alone brothers and sisters in Christ, let alone the people in our top five, the people you called into our circle of influence. God, I I don't want us to ever come at a surface understanding of this, at a surface level of emotion. I want us to feel it deeply, that the midnight hour is real for us and for others. But God, I'm just praying that you would convict us today. Do we see you through me-colored glasses? Is it all about me? Do I let life determine my response to you? Oh God, give us the strength by your spirit to set you continually before us that we won't be shaken and wavering in our faith, but that our heart could be glad and our tongue can rejoice, and we can rest in our faith, secure in you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.